Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome back inside the mid-american bandwagon podcast episode 95 coming to you live this week we're getting dangerously close to 100 here vans we're gonna have to spe- plan uh, plan something special here in a month or so when we hit the, the triple digits there but uh anyway folks hope you're doing well tonight thanks as always for stopping by i am zach follador he is zach vanuenza here to break down the week in max sports got a lot to get to here tonight we've got some transfer portal news in basketball and in football Big weekend of baseball this past weekend. That huge series, we talked about it last week, Central Michigan and Ball State. We'll break that down for you. And then at the end of the show, I uh, got our uh, creative director at Hustlebell here, James Jimenez, stopping by to talk a little NFL draft and the MAC players that were drafted and where they landed. So a lot to get to here tonight. Vanzi, sir, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. And, uh, you know, when I tell you what, it almost seems slightly wrong that the 100th episode, you know, I mean, assuming we make it to that point at this, at, you know, as we're going, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems a little wrong that that happens, you know, kind of in the, the summer time frame where, you know, we'll probably have some Mac baseball and yeah. at this point prior to transfer portal, but not a whole lot else to, you know, go over. So, you know, maybe, maybe we can pull like greatest hits or something, you know, or something hey, like that. Or I don't hate that. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll, we'll do something special for our, our millions of fans out there uh, for, for episode number 100. Vansy, we got, uh, speaking of baseball though, uh Bucko's up there in Detroit today. We had a little daytime doubleheader there at Comerica, split uh split a two-game series. How are you feeling about the Tigers right now? Um, you know, they got some injuries. I think they are better than uh, you know, what the record shows. Um, you know, I expected them to be better. The other thing that really, I mean, man, they're they are playing terrible fundamental baseball right now. Errors galore and missing the cutoff guys. I got to think AJ Hinch is better than that as, as a manager and uh, oof, you know, I, I hope they turn it around and uh, you know, but Hey, even if they don't, you know, I'm right here in mud hens country. I can see the next wave, you know, down in, uh, in there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, you know, expectations were pretty low for the pirates this year as they are most years been slightly been somewhat encouraged by what I've seen thus far. I mean, 10 and 14, that the, the starting pitching is not good, but, uh, got a decent little bullpen, some good young players coming up. And I also take solace in the fact that uh, it does not appear that the Pirates are going to finish in last place this year. I see the Reds are three and 20 right now through 20. Yeah, the, so. the Reds, like, I mean, Joey Votto, he looks like a shell of his former self. And, uh, you know, it's it's tough to see because Cincinnati, they love their baseball. If you ever get a chance to go down there to Great American Ballpark, um, they it's a great venue, great fans. Um, but, you know, going off of baseball, I think you know where I'm going with this. I got to bring up my boy Terry Myrick and yeah. the Michigan Panthers for beating your what Pittsburgh Maulers. It was. I mean, they really you know took them out to the woodshed in that one. Boy, I tell you what, Vanzi, the the Pittsburgh Maulers are a disaster. I I don't know 
If I mean, I watch, I was at my parents' house this past weekend on Sunday. Uh, watch, I tried to watch the first quarter with my dad and my goodness, I don't know if I've ever seen a worse quarter of football played by any football team at any level of football. I mean, the, the, the fumbled punt, the defense, just not there. The offense is non-existent. I just, uh, man, I, I don't know. I think we might be looking at an 0-10 season here for the Maulers unless they can get lucky and pull one out. But yeah, I, man, I tell you what, I thought I was thinking, you know, the last two O and two teams in the league, I figured we had a shot in that game. And it was just, I mean, it was all Michigan from the beginning. Yeah, I think uh, it was the punt where they punted it and it just the guy just like muffed it. Yeah. Didn't recover it. And I was like, oh, dear. Oh, my. Yep. You know? <laughs> and I, I got to, you know, I mean, get, not to get off track, but I mean, I, I don't really understand the USFL. I mean, there's so much else going on. We had NASCAR, uh, NBA playoffs, you know, MLB you know, all, all that stuff. Why? I don't I'm surprised they're playing these games on weekends or on Sunday. I, I almost wonder, you know, maybe it's the maction in me, but maybe if you play those on like a Wednesday night mm. I and mean, I would watch that over some, what, what's on Wednesday night law and order. I don't know. Yeah. Not, not much. No. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not. That's a, it's, it's a good thought. It's a good thought. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if the league survives to next year. And if they do, we'll let the XFL coming back too. So we'll have two potentially two spring football leagues next year to pick from. So We'll see how the uh, the USFL does here over the next couple of months if they get the ratings to, uh, to to remain viable for another season. Anyway, though, Vanzi, before we get too far off track here, we got some transfer portal news to talk about. And uh, let's start right up the road from you in Ypsilanti, Vanzi. Stan Heath, uh, been busy in the transfer portal. Tyson Acuff, uh from, from Duquesne transferring to EMU this week. Uh, for you know, grew up in Detroit, Detroit native, five five point seven points a game last year for Duquesne. Jalen Billingsley, a former three star recruit from Georgetown, didn't play a ton at Georgetown last year. Played in thirty games, only about eleven minutes a game, a little over two points a game there. But Vanzi, some 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 size transferring into the program here. You had Mo and Jaye uh, transfer out, and and you know you lose some other guys as well. Seems like Stan Heath starting to put together. You know the the roster for next year for the Eagles starting to take shape here a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's important to have a head coach that understands the transfer portal. And, and I, I think that's, you know, I mean, any of these mid-major coaches, uh, that's going to be an essential part of their job, uh, more so than recruiting. Because you recruit a kid, he doesn't play as a true freshman, he's going to be in the portal. You know, yeah. so now you're getting these guys who are already a little more developed and, and uh, you know, all that, bringing them in. You know, Tyson Acuff, you know, coming down the road from Detroit, a uh, local product, a combo guard, uh, you know, I mean, you hoping that he plays opposite of Farrakhan. Um, and then you got Jalen Billingsley uh, from Georgetown, you know, and, and that's a that's a big East, you know, power program played for Patrick Ewing. Uh, Georgetown, you know, I mean, last year was pretty awful which is surprising because they're so swaggy. Their Hoyas brand is so cool. But again, getting off track, um, they are, you know, Jordan branded, all that. But, uh, you know, I, I look at him, he's a power forward. You know, I think he eats maybe some of that role that Molna Jai played. Um, you know, I think he can, he can be in the, in the post. I think he's a little more skilled than in the Jai. I think he can, you know, do a little bit more, uh, not quite as big. Uh, so adding those pieces, you know, a little bit of experience, they'll just because, I mean, Duquesne's isn't a, uh, you know, that's out in your neck of the woods there, but that's not um, a major, you know, like a, a pot, like a, 
you know, a high major school, but, you know, Keith Dambrat, the former head coach at central Michigan, he recruits Michigan very well. Seeing a player come back to the state is kind of cool. Um, and just cause a player's transferring in doesn't mean they're going to play. doesn't mean they're going to get big minutes, but I would say they add depth and the potential is there for them to get some solid minutes. Yeah, certainly. I think I would put both of these guys in that camp of, of saying that there is uh, they, they are promising, promising prospects, right? These guys could develop into solid players. And um, yeah, you know, I think anytime you can get a guy from a big East school, especially with the size like that former three-star recruit, I think that's certainly encouraging. And then as you mentioned, you know, Duquesne, not necessarily a power five program, but um, you know, it's it, last year was tough for the Dukes, but, but overall the last, you know, five, six years, Dan brought has turned them into a, a very competitive Atlantic 10 program. So certainly some, some, some positive indicators there uh, here early in the off season uh, for the Eagles. But speaking of transfer news here, Vanzi, uh, this one is, I mean, this is a little bit more uh, far-fetched and not, nothing is set in stone by any means here, but Ypsilanti native uh, Imani Bates, uh, the, the number one ranked prospect in the class of 2022, played his freshman season uh, this past year at Memphis, dealt with some, some injuries, you know, had a back issue, missed some games in January because of that, averaged just under 10 points a game uh, for the Tigers, 6'9", 190. He entered his name into the transfer portal the other day, and among the, the six schools that he listed as his finalists is Eastern Michigan. Stan Heath's squad is right there. Now, how likely is it that Imani Bates is going to transfer to Eastern Michigan? I, that's partially, I guess, a question I, I would like to ask you. I know him and his dad have, have been around the program for a long time growing up there in Ypsilanti. What do you think, though, Vansy? I mean, do you think the Eagles have a legitimate shot here? And even if they don't, it seems like, you know, this is – get some generate some positive PR for the program. Well, let me start off. I'm going to make a, a semi-public plea here. Um, game above, you know, the EMU, you know, uh, booster branch that has done much for, you know, the, the technology building and, and on-campus activities and they put their name on the, uh, the basketball arena. Game above, Charlie Batch, if you're listening, you know, take that money that you offered Caleb Williams to come to EMU and offer it up to Imadi Bates. Um, that's probably what's going to need to happen for it to actually happen where he comes to EMU. Um, but boy, that would be great. I mean, I, I have, you know, fever dreams of, of Noah Farrakhan and Imani Bates <laughs> and, and, you know, just, just winning in Cleveland and in great things. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's more likely than what people are giving credit to. Um, Imani has, he's one of the few prospects uh, that have come up and have been that highly regarded. He was kind of like Chet Holmgren. But he didn't go to one of these basketball factories like an Oak Hill or an IMG. He stuck around Ipsy Lincoln, you know, which, I mean, I, I think it hurt his development. It really did. And then they did the Ipsy prep, which, yes, it was a prep school, but it was still in Ypsilanti. They loosely played their games there, you know. So he had a lot of love for Ypsilanti when a lot of people were moving out. Now, during the Rob Murphy era, he was around quite a bit. Rob Murphy and his dad had somewhat of a, you know, of a relationship. Rob Murphy would kind of coach him away from the team, you know, kind of a, you know, a side gig and all that. And, and Ipsy Lincoln played their games at then the Convocation Center. Um, you know, so there's a lot of ties there. I personally think, and I can't speak for Imani Bates, 
Um, there's some talk that some of those six schools aren't actually recruiting him in the process. Mm. Um, it's kind of a, a, a thing that he would like to see happening. Um, it seems like Louisville is in the lead. Um, I think it's possible, but I think it's going to take, he's going to need an NIL deal to do it. Um, I think it's more of a respect thing uh, to the coach, you know, to, to the city of Ypsilanti really. And I, I did see something on his Instagram live that I posted on Twitter. One of the EMU coaches, um, you know, just kind of like come home, you know, come home. And so they are trying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I should note that that was before the recruiting dead period this week. I don't want to bring any um, NCAA, you know, allegations against EMU here. Um, <laughs> this, this week is a recruiting dead period. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and so there is an effort there. They would like to see it happen. You know, best case scenario is Imani Bates commits to EMU. And, you know, I, I don't know if it'll go well or go bad. There's a lot going on there with him as a person um, and some of that dynamic. Um, but, you know, the worst case scenario is there's now other recruits who are like, hold on, what's EMU up to? You know, Imani Bates is considering EMU. People are Googling, well, wait, how is EMU in this? And, you know, I mean, I the, I go, I went to some Michigan message boards because people want to see Imani Bates at Michigan. And they're like, EMU, and they are attacking EMU as Michigan fans. And I got a kick out of that. I'm like, you guys are worried about little old EMU down Washington Avenue. You know, <laughs> and they're like, where is EMU getting their money? Where are we getting our money? What you're U of M. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, come on. But uh, you know, it's nothing else. It's good exposure for the program. Stan Heath is at least trying, you know. Hopefully it happens. I I'm gonna go with 15% that it does. Yeah. I think the, the last point you made, I think, is 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 very uh very well taken in the sense that I I really do you know, even, even if, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I feel like it's, it's, it's a long shot that Imani Bates ends up at Eastern Michigan, but even if he doesn't, the PR that this generates, I mean, you look at, you look at um, the, the, the six schools on his final list here, right. And this is a story that's been published on every major sports website, ESPN, Yahoo Sports, CBS Sports, NBC Sports. They all carry this story because this is a guy who's the number one uh, recruit in the 2022 class. So you look at the schools that EMU is mentioned in the same breath as here, Arkansas, Michigan, DePaul, Seton Hall, Louisville. I mean, those are some major, major basketball programs. And to think, you know, to see EMU mentioned in the same breath of those schools, you have to think that, you know, prospects coming up guys that are you know sophomores juniors seniors in high school right now they see that and they think oh wow eastern michigan this is a legitimate program and as you said they google eastern michigan they do some research you never know what benefits eastern michigan might get out of this this story even if he ends up committing somewhere else so i think it's a cool story i i respect amani for kind of sticking to his roots and and uh giving his hometown uh school some consideration here we'll see how this plays out I'm, i i heard you mention this vanzi and i saw the same probably read the same story you did that um, it seems like Louisville is kind of in the lead to, to get his services right now, but that is, uh, that is not set in stone either. So we'll see how this plays out here over the next week or so. And, uh, Hey, maybe next week on next week's episode or the week after, maybe we'll have some, some big news to report out of Ypsilanti there, uh, for the Eagles. So, um, we'll keep an eye on that one. 
One last kind of transfer uh, portal story we wanted to touch on here to move over to football. Uh, Toledo wide receiver Matt Landers has entered uh, the portal uh, just the other day. This is a guy who already transferred once. He transferred to Toledo from Georgia uh, prior to last season. Um, only one season on campus there at Toledo. Only caught 20 balls uh, in 12 games, but he did have 514 receiving yards, 25.7 yards per catch, touchdown receptions of 85 and 90 yards on the season. Um, it, it seems like he kind of, this is a guy that kind of came on strong at the end of the year, Vanzi. 18 of his 20 catches came in the last five games of the year. Some folks might remember the, the long touchdown uh, pass he caught in the, uh, in the Rockets' Bahama Bowl loss to Middle Tennessee. Vanzi, this isn't a guy who was necessarily, uh, you know, like featured prominently in the offense, but anytime you you have a player like this, who was a starter, who is a deep threat, a legitimate deep threat can take the top off the defense. Not great news for, for Jason Candle's squad. You'd like, you have to think a guy like this, that's a, that's a burner that can go deep and can, you know, outrun anybody. He'll find a landing spot somewhere. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the things to keep in note right now is I'm assuming he did. I believe the deadline was Monday or Sunday into Monday. You had to get your transfer papers in by you know that date uh, to be able to transfer and be eligible for this coming fall, even with the portal, the portal plague or the portal era that we live in. Um, and you know, just, so some of this players submitted it and then like it didn't get out or it didn't get published until after that deadline. So I'm assuming he made that deadline. Otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense for him. Um, it's also his second transfer. So that could play a role in yeah. his immediate eligibility somewhere. Um, I very much would expect him to transfer up. Uh, you know, he's got the, the size and the speed. I mean, he's six, five, 200, you know, he played at Georgia. I would imagine he'd be transferring up. He went for four four receptions, 137 yards in a Bahamas Bowl, one of those being a 90-yard touchdown. Um, I I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I don't have a life, but I don't have a life. And he was kind of one of my guys on the the my uh preseason all Mac, you know, kind of watch mm. list. I thought he was somebody who, you know, if not the number one one receiver for Toledo, the number two. Um I, you know, I mean, I got to think that he just wants to move up a level. Uh, he's from St. Petersburg, Florida, you know, a lot of D1, high D1s down there, uh, you know, maybe wants to be closer to home. Hard to say, but I do think it's a big loss for Toledo. And I think it's a loss which comes at a time that uh, it's going to be difficult for them to potentially counter. Yeah, no, it's certainly, especially as you mentioned, you know, this late in the, in the game, uh, you know, here we are in May, you know, fall camp is three months away. I also wonder, Vanzi, if if Toledo's offensive uh, philosophy might have affected this a little bit. You have obviously Daquan Finn there, his entrenched as the starting quarterback for the Rockets moving forward. And, uh, you know, Toledo, whereas you, you think Toledo traditionally is a very pass heavy offense, uh, produced some great quarterbacks over the years. But with Daquan Finn, a little bit more of a dual threat kind of guy, right? Where they're, they're very much, they're much more balanced now running the ball a lot more last year. Um, obviously Brian Kobach departing is, is going to affect that a little bit, but so I don't know, maybe, you know, this is just him thinking there might not be quite as many balls to go around next year at Toledo. Maybe he thinks he can get it better stats elsewhere uh, and help his chances at the development at the next level. But either way, um, I, I would tend to agree with you. It feels like this is a guy that might end up somewhere down in Florida. You mentioned St. Petersburg. Uh, there's so many division one programs down there in Florida. Maybe he ends up at, you know, a, a South Florida, Florida Atlantic, Florida international, 
something along those lines. We'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that as well. Best of luck to Matt as he uh, begins the next step of his uh, athletic career uh, outside of the Mac. Vansy, let's move into some baseball here. And um, I, I mean, let's let's be honest here. There, there was really only one story in Mac baseball last week. It was the, the series we've all been waiting for. Everybody that follows Mac baseball has had this series circled on the calendar. We talked about it extensively last week. Central Michigan traveled down to Muncie to take on Ball State. They entered the weekend, the top two uh, teams in the Mid-American Conference standing. Central Michigan entered this game 21-1 and in the Mac, a 17-game winning streak. And Vanzi, Ball State put an emphatic end to that winning streak for the Chippewas. Ball State sweeps all four games from Central Michigan this weekend, held CMU batters to a 155 average over the series. Ball State now in sole possession of first place, 23-4 and four in the conference. They have a game and a half up on Central Michigan now, who sits in second at 21-5. and Banzi, let's start with this series before we get to anything else. Just First off, general thoughts, general impressions. What did you think about what the Cardinals were able to do to the Chippewas this weekend? Yeah, I uh, I was very much surprised. Um, you know, I, I had a tweet which maybe ruffled some feathers in which I said, oh, boy, I didn't see that coming. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't see it coming. I don't think anyone saw it coming where, uh, you know, Ball State would, you know, overtake Central in every game of the ser- of this series. Um, but that's exactly what they did. So kudos, kudos out to uh, Ball State. Uh, well-deserved victory. They definitely looked like the better team. Um, boy, it actually, I think, kind of helps the MAC to kind of push, you know, maybe getting an at-large NCAA baseball tournament bid, uh, however things play out. That's one thing to keep an eye on. Um, but, boy, I, I, you know, that was emphatic. Um, they obviously now hold a tiebreaker over Central Michigan should it come down to that. A um, couple of more series to go. I think you're going to see these two teams continue to be in the position. Um, you know, I'll just, I mean, it was uh, just, you know, well-played baseball by Ball State. Um, you know, the, the you know, I mean, outscored them 27 to 15 in the series. You know, I mean, with that, uh, that big of a point margin, you're going to win, you know, four out of four games or you're going to sweep a series. And I said last week, I said, I thought, boy, if you're ball state, you know, you need to win the series, maybe not sweep the series, but win the series. And they emphatically did that. Yeah, they really did. And it was really a whole team effort here, Vansy. I mean, you look at Friday, an incredible uh, pitching performance from Tyler Schweitzer, improved a seven and two on the season. He went seven innings, just one earned run. Uh, six strikeouts, and then Sam Klein uh, with two great uh, performances out of the bullpen for uh, for Ball State this week. He actually got Mac Pitcher of the Week. Uh, two saves. He leads the Mac now with with nine saves, and um, including he one of those being on 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 Friday's uh, game where he he saved it after Tyler Schweitzer went the first seven innings. But Vansy, I mean, they did it with their pitching offensively they were great um how about a shout out to Amir Wright from Ball State he has reached the base safely now in 42 of 43 games this season and uh and then, and then on top of that Vansy I mean like you mentioned you know t- 10 runs in the second game on Saturday six runs in the first game on Saturday this is really a, a, a team that seems to be coming into their own now we've been talking a lot about the last couple of weeks with Central Michigan and their winning streak well Ball State has an eight game winning streak of their own here going and and you look you look at the rest of their season 
And I, I guess, as I mentioned, the Cardinals now 23 and four in, in the conference uh, right now. And they have, uh, we got three series left here. They got at Kent state, then they got Ohio and at Miami. You figure it with all three of those teams, well below the Cardinals in the standings, you have to think, we got to think a lot now about ball state, you know, is this a team that's going to, you know, get to get over 30 wins in, uh, in, in the Mac season, which would be a heck of a season for the Cardinals. And then at that point, if central Michigan can keep playing well too, you brought it up just a couple minutes ago. We talked about it last week. Do we potentially see two Mac baseball teams in the NCAA tournament? I don't know how likely that is, but I got to think both of these teams garner consideration right now. Yeah, and right now a lot of the major procrastinator or you know uh, prog- prognosticators, I, boy, that's a tough word. Um, <laughs> they have, they have uh, just one team in the tournament from the Mac uh, that's ball stake in college baseball uh, or D one baseball.com. Um, but I don't know if they've really updated it since that series. So we'll kind of see that, uh, how that plays out, um, you know, and one, of, I, I mean, I played a lot of baseball growing up and, and, you know, I played at a semi high level. And I think one of the things is, is when you got to around to the postseason time, rather it's high school or, or you know, college ball or whatever it is you're looking for that team that's peaking you know that team yeah. that's rounding into form at the right time and it's very tough for these northern weather climate teams to round into form well you know i think ball state looks like you know as fundamentally sound as they are as you know the the hitting they have they don't have as big of names as central michigan but i i just kind of wonder if they're not maybe figuring it out and just playing their best baseball of the season at the best possible time. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. It certainly seems uh, like they are rounding into form here as we hit the end of the season. So this was a huge series this weekend because, um, as as most of our listeners probably know, or or maybe they don't, but uh, you know the 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 team that wins the regular season uh, in the conference, they get to host the MAC tournament. Only the top four teams make the MAC tournament. So this was huge for Ball State. Uh, they keep this up and maintain this game and a half lead here over the next couple of weeks, and they will host uh, the MAC conference tournament in Indy uh, at the end of May or I should say beginning of June. Uh, let's, let's take a look at some of the other, um, let's take a look at some of the other uh, results here from this past weekend here, Vansy. Obviously that was the big, big, uh, big series, but uh, Ohio uh, kept themselves in the, in the thick of things. They swept four from Miami, Kent state and Akron, the battle of the wagon wheel. Uh, they played to a draw. Both teams won two games in that series. Uh, Ball State, as I mentioned, swept Central Michigan. Northern Illinois and Western Michigan split four. Your Eastern Michigan Eagles got back on track here a little bit, Vanzi. They take three of four from uh, from Bowling Green. And then Toledo, who quietly is the other team in the conference playing really well right now, swept two from Austin P. And they uh, the, the Rockets now own an 11-game win streak of their own. They sit in third place in the conference at 17 and 11. So, Vanzi, right now, it seems like with, with three weeks left to go, it seems like Ball State and Central Michigan for sure. Probably I would put Toledo in this group as well. They, I think those three teams certainly seem to have uh, their, their place in the conference tournament somewhat secured. Maybe I shouldn't put Toledo in that group, but the way they're playing right now, having won 11 straight, I feel pretty good saying that. This last spot here in a conference tournament, though, I mean, from Ohio in fourth place all the way down to Western Michigan 
in eighth place, there's only really three games that separate these teams. Ohio's at 12 and 12, Eastern Michigan, 13 and 15, Kent state, 12 and 14, Miami, 14 and 17, Western Michigan, 12 and 15. Obviously not all of those teams have played the same amount of conference games here because of weather and cancellations and stuff like that. But there's, I mean, there's still a lot to play for here for that group of teams here over the last three weeks, Fancy. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Toledo, you know, some of those wins that they got were against a, a 16 and 29 Austin P team. So, you know, I, I kind of question that, but undoubtedly 11 wins is 11 wins in a row. Uh, they are playing some great baseball right now. They do look like the third best team in the Mac uh, EMU baseball. They're, they're doing a great job right now of kind of beating up on the teams they should beat. And that's keeping them in that mix. Uh, they outscored Bowling Green 32 to the 14. They had eight homers. I believe it was Sunday in uh, Daniel Workington hit uh, three homers himself, you know, so very impressive offensive output. Um, and, you know, you look at those standings at EMU behind Ohio and, you know, I got to go back to a couple weeks ago where I mentioned on this podcast, you know, kill, uh, kill Barker, kill Baker hit the big home run to uh, knock off EMU, you know, literally at this point with so many teams, so jumbled up every game for a lot of these schools is going to mean something. Uh, if you're going to get that opportunity to play on into the, you know, a little bit further. And, uh, you know, I think all these series are just going to gain added importance. And, uh, you know, you're, I know, uh, you know, you start looking at the schedule and what is interesting coming up is, you know, some of these matchups, uh, EMU gets Northern Illinois, who's last in the max standings. Yeah. So EMU has got another opportunity to take another series victory and kind of move itself up there. Toledo plays Bowling Green. Bowling mm-hmm. Green is struggling. So Toledo's got this opportunity while well, they got, you know, a, a midweek game against Miami, uh, which will have occurred by the time we post this recording. But, you know, when you look at it, Toledo's got an opportunity to win another series against Bowling Green, you know, Ohio against Akron. They have the opportunity to win a series. So I don't think, you know, Kent State's got the tough draw this week. They get Ball State, you know. So I think when you look at this, if everything sticks to paper, and I've been in trouble with sticking to paper too much before, but if everything sticks to paper, I don't think you're really going to get clarity coming out of this week. Um, you know, from what we're looking at. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And that's why I think looking at the schedule here, I think looking at the schedule, this is the way to do it here moving forward, right? Because as you mentioned, uh, of these teams in this group that are shooting, you know, fighting for this fourth spot, Kent State does get the tough draw this week. They have to play Ball State. Now it is at Kent State. It is a home series, but nonetheless, Ball State playing as well as they are right now. You have to think, you know, that that's a that's a tough mountain to climb for the Golden Flashes. You have to like Eastern Michigan's chances taking on last place Northern Illinois. I mean, the Huskies nine and thirty three overall this year, eight and eighteen in the conference. I think that that series this weekend, Vanzi, uh, really did a lot for 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 the Eagles' confidence. Uh, certainly taking three or four from Bowling Green. So I think I think the 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 series that I'm really watching this weekend. You mentioned Toledo and uh, Bowling Green. That's a big one. Uh, Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois is a big one, and then Ohio and Akron is a big one as well. I think that's another one where Ohio 
with an opportunity is they're the team sitting in fourth right now as it stands. Right. So you figure you take on Akron who's struggling a little bit. I mean, they're, they're playing well given the circumstances only their second year back, but still 11 and 21 in the conference, 13 and 31 overall. You'd like to think Ohio could maybe uh, put some separation between themselves and the rest of these teams this weekend, but uh, we've seen crazier things happen before. I think probably when we sit here this week, next time, and we look at the standings, we'll probably be in a very similar spot than we were, uh, you know, as, as we were as compared to tonight. You mentioned Toledo's midweek game against Miami. They did defeat the Red Hawks earlier this afternoon. We recorded on Wednesday evening, six to four uh, Toledo knocked off Miami. So they're, uh, they're, they're hot. Uh, they're, they're good form, good run of form here recently continues. Uh, and they'll uh, look to, to carry that over into their weekend series with, uh, with Bowling Green here coming up in a few days. Vanzi, any final thoughts on baseball before we move uh, move into our, our final segment with James here? Uh, no, I think that about, uh, you know, sums it up. Um, you know, I think uh, just right now you're getting the weather's starting to break. So we're starting to get, uh, get you know, good opportunity for everyone to get out to the different ballparks and get the opportunity to uh, take in some of these games and get some high quality baseball uh, and all of that. And I did want to, I know we don't ever, you know, really venture into it, but real quick, I just wanted to touch on uh, Max softball. Um, you mm. know, it's, it's hard to find information on that as much, but I did want to give the ladies um, a, a shout out. Uh, Miami is first in a conference 23 and three in Max softball. Uh, as far as conference record, they're 35, 13 and one for a 724 win percentage. So Miami softball tops in the Mac right now. Yeah, certainly the Red Hawks playing really well on the softball diamond here this season, as you mentioned, 23 and three in the Mac. All right, folks. So after this commercial break, stick around. Uh, we're going to have James Jimenez here joining us. Anyone who listens to the show, he's been on before, a creative director for us here at Hustle Belt. Uh, he did a great job spearheading our NFL draft coverage over at Hustle Belt here over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to bring him in, talk a little bit about uh, the MAC performance in the NFL draft. We had six players drafted. Going to talk about the fits, where they landed. Uh, got some undrafted free agents to talk about as well. So uh, stick around after the commercial break here. We're going to bring in James, do a little recap of the NFL. NFL draft. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As mentioned uh, before the commercials, uh, I have a special guest here to join us uh, to close out the show tonight. Our creative director at the Hustle Belt, James Jimenez, joins us to break down the past weekend and what happened in Las Vegas at the NFL Draft. If anyone hasn't been to, uh, on the Hustle Belt, recent, uh, Hustle Belt website recently, excuse me, James did a great job, spearheaded our, our, our uh, NFL Draft coverage. A lot of great stuff there. Undrafted free agent trackers, stories about everybody that was drafted all that good stuff. So go check that out uh, if you want any more information. But we're here to break it all down here for tonight. James, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I could be doing better. Like I was uh, talking about pre-production. I've been on a steady diet of saltine crackers for the last couple days. But it's spring. The weather's nice. So doing go. great. 
Yeah. Sometimes you get that sensitive stomach. You just, Hey, you got to do what you got to do. And if saltines are working, you can keep down then, Hey, that's, that's what it's got to be for, for those 48 hours. Um, but yeah, James, let's get into it here, man. So let's, let's, uh, let's start high level. Um, we had six players selected in the NFL draft last weekend from the Mac. We had, uh, Sky Moore, Luke Gedeke in the second round, Bernard Ryman in the, uh, in the, in the third Tyson Anderson in the fifth, uh, Dominique Robinson and Samuel Womack in, in the seventh. So um, let's, let's, let's start there. Six players selected the most for the max since 2017. Uh, generally speaking, before we talk about any specific landing spots or specific players or anything like that, how do we feel about the max showing in Las Vegas this past weekend? Six is not a bad showing. Like I said, most since 2017, how'd you feel about what you saw in Las Vegas last weekend? Felt really good. Uh, like this year of Mac football was one of the most fun years that I've had uh, covering Mac football in general. You know, like we had that year with the Broncos 2016, but like that was such a different like feeling of covering a season. Like that one, it just felt like, you know, we were waiting to crown the inevitable. Like all the all the heat and action was on that one team. But like this season really went to show uh how much parody there is in this league and has been in this league for the last couple of years. Like the two thousand the 2020 NFL draft. And uh, and conversely, the 21 draft were both affected by COVID. Yeah. Like the Mac didn't really get to have like a particularly good showing of only six games. You know, that's not that's not a lot of tape to go off of. And you know, you had the virtual combines, which really doesn't help, especially at small schools, because like really like in person stuff is so vital to the draft evaluation process. I think 20, I think 21 had just two draftees, which is one of the lowest numbers we'd had in years or something akin to that. But like just to have six players drafted in this draft is wonderful. And I think, you know, we have a lot of players who could have, who could have been drafted. We could have had seven, eight, nine players drafted. There are a lot of players that were drafted. Like we were just talking about who were drafted a little later than I would have expected them to go as well. So it's just one of those things where it's like, it was a great year for the Mac. But also, like, I'm left a little bitter that certain players weren't drafted, which I guess we'll get into in a little bit here. But, you know, we were, yeah, we were rivaling, rivaling plenty of other of our group five peers in terms of prospects drafted. And I'm feeling, like I said, I'm feeling really good. We were in, we were in the doldrums for a while in terms of talent being drafted. But I think we're starting to hit that upturn now. <clears throat> So of those six who were fortunate enough to uh, be drafted, is there anyone in particular that when you look at it, you're like, man, they're going into a great situation. You know, they have an opportunity, you know, very early on in their rookie season to potentially make an impact here in the NFL. The obvious answer is immediately Sky Moore. Uh, 54th overall to Kansas City there in the second round. He's going to have the most immediate role out of any of these prospects. He'll probably be starting either uh, outside or in the slot in the place of Tyree Kill, who, as we know, was traded to, I believe it was Miami. Correct. Yeah. Prior, to, pri prior to the NFL draft weekend. So he right away, he's going to be used in a variety of roles, like, you know, in that Tyree Kill role. And that Kansas City offense is constantly evolving. Andy Reid will certainly find ways to get him on the field there. As well, especially when he's paired up with uh, receivers such as uh, Marquez Valdez Scandling, who's that bigger body that can burn down the field. You might have Sky Moore in the slot 
you know, running some of those intermediate routes, get yards after catch, much like he did at Western. And that's really what attracted a lot of teams to Sky Moore at the end of the day was his explosiveness, especially in his 10 split, which was amongst the fastest of anybody who did the combine exercises. So, you know, they see a lot of potential in him, and they're going to put a lot of the offense onto Moore's back because, you know, you need to find somebody to replace the speed that Hill has. And, like, Sky Moore is not as fast as uh, Tyreek Hill. No one is as fast as Tyreek Hill. But he will definitely occupy that slot, you know, uh, pun intended or not, very well. Yeah, definitely. It, it really seems like he's stepping into a great situation there. I mean, obviously, one of the best quarterbacks in the league with Mahomes and that offense is still, even without Tyreek Hill, still so loaded. You mentioned Valdez Scantling, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey at tight end. So many targets there. He'll definitely have the opportunity to, to get right. over. I, I feel bad in a way to say that it's more because, like, it, of course, it's a, it's a wide receiver going to the Kansas City offense. So, yeah. like, it's super obvious to say it. But at the same time, it's super obvious, and we should say it. It's okay. He's really quick. He has great hands. He's a yard-after-catch machine. Like, that is what it is. That's what Kansas City's offense thrives on, is Mahomes checking down to Kelsey, getting yards after catch, checking down you know, to you know what used to be Byron Pringle or something like that, and getting yards after the catch, throwing a deep tire kill, getting yards after catch. Yeah. So Moore's going to fit in there very well. Yeah, certainly agree with you there. Let's talk about, obviously, James, you're, you're a Central Michigan guy, Central Michigan alum. Let's talk about the, the landing spots for the two Chippewas offensive linemen here. Luke Gedeke goes 57th overall to Tampa Bay. Bernard Ryman goes 77th overall to the Colts. He'll be moving just uh, just south down to Indianapolis. What do you think about the landing spots for both of those guys? Do you feel do you expect either of them to compete for starting jobs this year? It seems like uh, at least Gedeke for sure is in a position to be able to do that. What do you think about the landing spots for uh, for the two Central Michigan linemen? I think they'll both compete right away, Yeah, honestly. Uh, to go into this a little bit, like Ryman was a Ryman was a pretty quick riser this year, but Gedeke was an even faster riser. Coming into this season, Gedeke at first, you know, going into the preseason, was seen as somebody who was, you know, like a, day, a, a round six, seven prospect that, you know, with a couple years of development might turn into something. And then he becomes the 57th overall pick to Tampa Bay and, a, and is immediately already considered a starter on that Tampa Bay offensive line, replacing Ali Marpet, who was a perennial Pro Bowl guard in Tampa Bay, a lifer down there. So, like, Gedeke is going to be somebody to watch down there. He's an absolute glass eater, great technician with his hands. Like, teams really did fall in love with his profile. He has a, you know, a stable lower body. He, doesn't, he didn't let a lot of people get away from him. Uh, when he was out blocking, he's very balanced. He's great in both the pass and the run. And, you know, he's shorter than, he, you know, a normal tackle should be. So they're going to slot him inside. That makes him, in turn, a big guard. And Tampa Bay loves to run their big guards, especially in that zone run offense, you know, of Arians. And I think they're going to try, they might do something slightly different, but largely the same over there. As for Ryman, you know, we saw him and he was just uh, he was a guy who was between that first and second round valuation for much of the season. And he put up great numbers. His RAS score is somewhere between 9.8 and 9.9. Uh, you know, Kent Lee Platt does great work with the RAS. If you ever looked it up at RAS.football. Uh, but teams, for whatever reason, uh, as we were getting closer to the NFL draft, you know, you were hearing scouts start to say like, oh, we're not sure about 
Ryman's physicals, like basically saying like, you know, he's a little old for a prospect coming out of the draft. He's turning, he either has turned or will be turning 25 for the start of the NFL season. Remember he took a year off to do compulsory military service. He had to lose a lot of weight to be able to do that. And they had to gain it all back. So there's probably some problems in that transition over there. He's only had, I want to say like 16 games at the tackle spot. So teams were concerned about how raw of a prospect he is in that sense. He's still, even at 305 pounds, six foot seven, he's still a little undersized to be a tackle. So there's a lot of issues to work with, with Ryman, even though he has the potential to be really good, which is, I think, which is why I think he fell into the third round, but he fell into a really good situation. He fell to Indianapolis who already has a great line. They don't, so they don't need him to be a contributor right away. You know, he'll fight for a tackle spot. He might not start at the tackle spot, but he'll eventually, you know, take over at that tackle spot should he be able to reach his fullest potential. And that is one of the best lines in the NFL, one of the best coached and disciplined lines in the NFL as well. So it's not like he will, you know, be lacking for an education there. I think in the case of both Gedeke and Ryman, they, they landed in the spots that would work best for them. Two spots where they aren't, needed to perform you know up to form immediately they've got enough help around them to where they will not be a focal point like it would be different if you know Gedeke or Ryman were to go to like a offensive line needy team you know like Chicago or like Cincinnati or someplace like that where the spot would immediately be on them and they would have to be pressured into performing even though both of them are tight end converts who are still relatively new to their position so, yeah, I think they landed in the best spot for the both of them, to put it plainly. Um, so, so talking about the Central Michigan offensive lineman, you know, one of the things that surprised me was the order that Ryman and Get a Key went. I think a lot of people thought Ryman would go first. Um, so that was, a you know, a little bit of a surprise. One player from the Mac who fell a little bit uh, that surprised me was Dominique Robinson out of Miami. Uh, very unique story. High school QB started at Miami as a wide receiver. And, you know, then he's only played defense the last two years as a kind of an edge outside linebacker, defensive end hybrid. Um, what's his outlook in Chicago? What's your thoughts on him? Uh, funny enough, uh, actually, myself and a bunch of former Hustlebolt writers, uh, we've had a Mac fantasy football team for probably the last 10 years. Plus, it was around even before I was on there. And I think at one point I had Dominique Robinson as a receiver on my team. So it's just wild to see that he's getting drafted as a defensive end now. <laughs> yeah. The way, the way that it's worked out. But uh, I think his draft position is indicative of how teams view Robinson, which is as a project. You know, like he went to the senior bowl. He had a, he, he showed out at the senior bowl. He did really well. It was just his issue, much like Ryman's issue was at the senior bowl was that he just happened to be in a deep class. And so like, you know, I had King Kingsley Enzabare. I hope I said that right. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, like both showing out of the defensive end position, which kind of buried Dominique Robinson's rise a little bit, you know, coming out of that senior bowl, Mel Kuyper had him projected, you know, as high as the second or third round, you know, lots of scouts really liked a lot of his physicals. You know, it's like, you know, you know, all the techniques raw, but you have everything that you need there. Da, da, da. And then we get to the draft and he's a seventh round pick. So I think that really shows that, you know, much like Ryman falling from his first round projection is that 
team sees somebody that is really raw but has the right athletic profile and they wanted to take a chance on that. In Chicago, he will have a good chance of fighting for a roster spot there on a Chicago Bears team that is going to look to do a youthful rebuild. Uh, They departed with Khalil Mack earlier this offseason. I believe they traded him to the Los Angeles Chargers. And so there is a glaring need at that edge spot, which I don't think they've quite addressed this year. If he shows if he shows his full potential, he will land on that fifty three man roster, and I have no doubts that he can compete and be able to do that. But even if he doesn't fall on that fifty three man roster, he's still a great practice squad candidate that you can, you know, stash away for a little bit, train him up at the position, and then when he's ready to go, put him up there. Like he he might not make an impact right away, but I think like I like like we said with the other guys, and that's really kind of how it works for everybody here. Under the right tutelage, I think he'll be able to perform. And, you know, like I said, just go back and watch his senior bowl. Go back to watch the practices. Go back to watch, you know, his uh, situational pass rushing in that game. And there, there's a there's a defensive end in there somewhere. It's just going to it's gonna take a year or two maybe to find it. Yeah, certainly. He's, he's certainly an interesting prospect given how he's developed here the, the last couple of seasons. So, James, two other guys here uh, that, that got drafted uh, before we move into the undrafted guys, but two other guys. We got uh, Tyson Anderson selected 166th overall by the Bengals, and then Samuel Womack out of, uh, uh, out of Toledo going 172nd overall to San Francisco. Uh, what do you think about these two guys and their chances? Obviously, you get to this point in the draft, you know, you're, you're in the last round, last two rounds, and uh, these guys here, you know, they're, they're kind of fringe roster guys. They might make, you know, might hang around on a practice squad as they continue to develop. Do you see either of that, these guys being on an opening day roster come, uh, come September? Uh, Tyson Anderson certainly got a good chance at that. Uh, if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals roster and their departures and spots that they like need somebody like a Tyson Anderson. Like you look at Tyson Anderson and you might have yourself a Darius Phillips. Mm. Now Anderson doesn't have the returnability of Phillips, which was his primary role in Cincinnati, but he's an excellent special teamer. Like uh, NFL scouts were raving about his ability on special teams and his ability to uh, diagnose the backfield and have that closing speed to be able to get the tackles behind the sticks Basically, and th- and that's what you're getting in Tyson Anderson. You're getting a good depth safety who gives you special teams value. And special teams is what gets you on rosters when you're in the sixth or seventh round. And like I said with uh, Dominic Robson, go back and watch Tyson Anderson's tape. There's one tackle and deflected pass that he has against, I want to say, Daniel Bellinger, the San Diego State tight end, where... Like Bellinger's gonna be Bellinger's gonna be there for the first down. Like he he's beat whoever was covering him previously, and Anderson diagnoses it, comes off of his previous assignment, and somehow manages to beat him to that first down marker and dislodge the ball. Like that was his one big highlight play in the senior bowl that convinced me that he was going to be an NFL draft pick. And I think you know teams saw that and said, man, you know he might not start the fastest, and you don't really need safeties to start the fastest if we're being honest. But the closing speed and like the ability to read and diagnose the backfield from that safety spot are going to put Anderson on a roster somewhere. If that's Cincinnati, if that's elsewhere, he will be on a roster. As for Samuel Womack, uh, Womack was another one of those late risers. Uh, 
if, if you go back and look at, uh, you know, local days, pro visits, you know, workouts, combine stuff, Samuel Volmack was getting a lot of attention in terms of like top 30 workouts for somebody who I don't think was invited to any of the all-star league games, which is a bit of a surprise. So to see him go 172nd overall, even before, you know, Dominique Robinson and just below his teammate in Tyson Anderson, it's not a surprise when you look at how NFL scouts were looking at Womack in particular. So now kind of wrapping up and putting a bow on kind of the drafted players and moving on to the undrafted players, obviously a lot more undrafted players, uh, you know, from the Mac getting signed than there were drafted players. And, and the Mac has a rich tradition of that, but 36 players as of press time um, have been signed to, you know, rookie contracts or, or mini camp invites, um, you know, some high profile names on the list, you know, Justin Hall, Dustin Crum. Um, you know, and, and, and Caleb Ellerby's got a uh, mini camp uh, tryout with the Seahawks. Um, are there any prospects in this group of undrafted free agents that you'll be keeping an eye on moving forward? Maybe you like their chances or are just a, a fond memory of them from their time within the map. All right. Well, uh, one name which immediately comes to mind in terms of uh, free agents from the Mac, uh, Khalil Pimpleton. He will definitely have a chance on a Detroit Lions roster. Uh, you know, like I said, like Detroit's going through a rebuild of its own as well, and they need they needed a guy. Uh, they have plenty of guys like Pimpleton on the roster, so there will be competition. Like Khalil Pimpleton was their first UDFA, so clearly, like they wanted him to come in and compete for a spot, and he will be competing directly for a spot, I believe, with uh, Khalif Raymond who is currently their kick and punt returner and wide receiver, I think four, five depth option. They're the same exact body build. They have very similar relative athletic scores. You know, their play style is very similar. They both have very similar gadget abilities. So that is definitely going to be a fight there for that 53 man spot. Another spot that was very intriguing to me, Sterling Weatherford to Indianapolis. I was surprised Sterling Weatherford didn't get drafted. Uh, Weatherford was another guy who was getting a like round three to round five projection based on his senior bowl performance, and I was surprised that nobody picked him up there. Uh, in terms of intrigue, uh, the Washington Commanders picked up Armani Rogers, the quarterback to tight end conversion. And if you ask, you know, any of the uh, the draft Knicks who were watching tape like you know the true football sickos who were tuning in and paying money to watch the hula bowl or the spiral tropical bowl they will all tell you that you wouldn't know that armani rogers didn't play tight end like his route running is i've seen the videos as well like the route running is absolutely crisp he has the size and ability his catch radius is incredible he needs to work a little bit on the blocking and that's really what he's going to be learning a lot of in his first year but you have all the makings of another Tyree Jackson success story at the tight end position. Uh, Mike Caliendo to Kansas City. That's an intriguing one. They need, a, they need a lot of cheap offensive line depth options, and it's pretty wide open there at the moment. Uh, Ali Fayad got a rookie minicamp tryout with the New York Jets. I think you know, he might have a chance to impress over there. And I was, that was another one where I was like, Oh wow, that guy didn't get drafted either. Like not even with a seventh round pick. 
Uh, I think I like to think of the seventh round picks as like your priority free agent. Mm. Basically, like you look around the room and you say, "Hey, who's a guy we really like that might have a UDFA like grade right now? Let's go get that guy." That's what I think of the seventh round as. I was surprised that he didn't get picked up with a seventh round pick, for instance. Uh, still, still looking at the list over here as well. Uh, Thomas Odukoya. That's a guy I'm really interested in. Actually, uh, primarily tight end to like blocking tight end. He gets picked up by the Tennessee Titans, and he is actually eligible for a roster exemption through the International Player Pathways program. So he's guaranteed a spot until the end of training camp. If he's placed on the on the practice squad, he is eligible to be he is exempt. So they basically get to have an extra practice squad player. And he's guaranteed this exemption for at least three years, I believe, as a prospect. And if he's called up to the 53-man roster, it doesn't count against their roster. So there's plenty you can do with uh, Thomas Odukoya there as well. There's, 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 there's so much intrigue this year with like the with the Mac draft class that we haven't seen in a long time. And like a lot of people going into this draft were saying, like, oh man, this will be like the worst draft since like the infamous 2013 draft that had, you know, EJ Manuel being the first quarterback selected. But I look at this draft and you say, you know, well, maybe there's not a lot of like blue chip guys at the top. You're getting a lot of quality, you know, def options or potential cheap starters in those middle rounds. And the UDFAs, some of the UDFAs that we've seen out here, you know, whether it's from the Mac or from other conferences as well this is one of the deepest udfa classes i've seen in a while and i think you know they'll look back on this draft class rather fondly at the end of the day but yeah in terms of like the immediate players i'll look out for to land on 53 man rosters you know templeton is probably the most likely to be able to land on a roster and i think second place would probably be someone like mike caliendo yeah, there's certainly a lot of potential there among the the undrafted free agents uh, you mentioned. I mean, certainly Odukoya has a, a built-in advantage there, uh, having come through the international program. You mentioned the roster exemptions and stuff like that. I think uh, if you're going to have a roster exemption for a 50, 53rd player on your team, uh, you could do a lot worse than Thomas Odukoya, especially a guy that can do you know block and like, give you some something on special teams. Too. So uh, certainly a lot of potential there. Some some great points you make here tonight, James. Certainly was a deep draft. Maybe as you mentioned, not the the high profile picks at the top of the draft, but um, a, a lot of good depth, a lot of quality players here in the middle round. And uh, James, we can't thank you enough, man. Again, anyone who hasn't been on the Hustle Belt site in a couple weeks, uh, James really spearheaded our coverage of the draft. Did a great job. Their breakdowns of every pick. We got the undrafted free agent tracker, which gets updated periodically. Check back on that to uh, you know see as, as as things change, as things move here, as we move towards you know summer mini camps and stuff like that. James, thank you for being with us, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Happy to be on anytime. Awesome. And that's going to uh, wrap it up here, folks, for episode 95 of the Bandwagon Podcast here this week. Thank you, as always, for stopping by. Thank you, James. Uh, James Jimenez, our creative director here at Hustle Bell, for stopping by this week and uh, breaking down the NFL draft for us. For Zach Vanuenzi, I am Zach Follador. Thanks, as always, for stopping by this week, folks. We'll talk to you next week.